This is Athenia, giving voice to the people who make Athens, Georgia, the unique, weird, and wonderful place we call home. I'm Sydney Shadricks. And I'm Jake Troyer. Athens is full of colorful and creative artists of all mediums, but this episode we're focusing specifically on live performance. Whether it's stand-up comedy, your favorite local band, or a live poetry reading, Athens has it all. In this episode, you'll hear stories about local theater, live storytelling, and even a local drag show. For our first segment, you'll hear Sydney learn all about the Athens drag community. triumphant return to Sister Louisa's church. She is my co-host for the evening. Everyone, please make some noise for Miss Bird LaRoe! That was Kenny Laney, or Carmela Macchiato, member and MC of the Athens Courtesans. By definition, and according to Merriam-Webster, A courtesan is a prostitute with a courtly, wealthy, or upper-class clientele. However, in Athens, Georgia, the word has a completely different meaning. Replace the C with a K, and you have the courtesans, Athens' premier drag troupe. Last week, several members of the courtesans invited me into their home to get the scoop on Athens' drag history, performances, and the community it has built in our small town. Who have we got here? Um, well, my name is Connor Bryan. Um, I live here where we're filming, and my drag name is Bird Lauren. Uh, my name is Kenny. My drag name is Carmela Macchiato. I am Forrest, but on show nights I'm video, Videotronic. I live here with Bird. Welcome. My name is April. My drag name is Sparrow LaRath. Oh, my name is Mackenzie, and I'm just a groupie. So, what are y'all doing here tonight? Y'all are twirling some yarn, you're making some crafts. What are these? Tell me more. So we have a pretty big event coming up tomorrow night actually hosted by some phenomenal local queens, Alex Suarez, Miss He, also known as Trevor Blake, and um, Lisa Couchlocker, who is Dean, phenomenal human being to understand drag on such a like higher level, hosting this really cool party and you're supposed to like turn a look, L-E-W-K. So we're making wigs out of yarn because like I'm gonna be covered in stickers and yarn and it's like a craft store vomited and that's what drag is about. So <laughs> I'm excited. Craft store vomited. Yeah, add some glitter, cry a little bit, drag. How long is that wig that you've got? I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty long. Yeah, it's, it's about your length. Yeah, it's a, it's at least six feet because I'm six feet and it almost touches the floor. So we're just gonna say it's six foot. In the age of the popular television series RuPaul's Drag Race, you might envision drag this way. High-end, expensive costumes dripping with rhinestones and bling, perfectly pressed with the eyeshadow hues to match. However, according to the courtesans, that's just the magic of reality TV. We go to to City Trends or America's Thrift (laughs) and we get our outfits for as cheap as possible. We make a wig out of yarn. Make them, yeah, change them if we can. Occasionally we'll buy a $50 lace front if we are feeling wealthy. (laughs) Truly, truly wealthy. Um, And we just go out there to have a good time. It's just a big party. Like we are there for living for other people as much as they're living for us. Just in fun clothes. The courtesans filled me in about their next show, and a little bit of hip lingo I was unfamiliar with. 
So, you said you have a show tomorrow. Yes. Tell me kind of like what what your shows are like. So, if I were to go to a show for the first time, what would I experience? Well, the show uh, tomorrow is more like a house party mm-hmm. with uh, drag performances. Um, so, we're all just kind of gathering at a house, performing, like Forrest said, turning a look. Um, what does it, that mean to turn a look? Turn a look, it just means like show, like show up and like to be seen, like yeah. let them know you're there, like... What you're wearing has to present a mood. Like, yeah. you have to be as, Tonight statement. I am serving. So it's like, I'm serving. Baby girl got her heart broken and she is here to, like, beat on you and let you know about it. It's like fashion. Like fashion shows, but over the top and outsized. The courtesans were definitely ready to turn some looks at their house party the next night. But... I wanted to know what made a courtesan show a courtesan show. What could I expect to see at a performance of Athens' premier drag troupe? Kenny filled me in. At a normal courtesan's drag show, um, you can expect me on the microphone hosting every single one of them. Yes. And making jokes. Um, Connor hosts with me sometimes as well. So does Video. So does Alex. Um, We try to give everyone a little mic time. Yeah, we just do a show, have performances. Everyone's very different. It's it's a lot of fun. The point is, everybody lives for it. Everyone yeah. there just lives for whatever anybody else is doing. And I, I think it's become a staple at our shows to, to give our little speech about we're here to make you guys feel that you are accepted and welcome. The courtesan shows have become a safe place in Athens, somewhere where everyone can feel accepted and loved and encouraged to be who they really are. However, the journey for the courtesans hasn't always been easy. What has it taken to get them to where they are today, and where did they get started? It was definitely a process. We started at a little restaurant uh, called Kumquat May. It was out on Mitchell Bridge Road. We started at Kumquat May, and I think we only had three shows there. Um, We booked a spot at Georgia Bar. Um, We were at Georgia Bar, and that's honestly where we started building our fan base and our uh, momentum if you would uh call it that but that's we, when i joined yeah that's when bird, the georgia that's bar when, days that's when bird joined and uh cole uh alex juarez performed first time in drag with us at georgia bar mm-hmm. um we had Lori divine lots of special guests um abora who was on dragula yeah. season two performed with us at georgia bar but, you know, some things happened. Georgia Bar closed down. Uh, that's when we got church. We got church okay. um, January of last year, 2017. And ch- the church shows have just been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely our b- biggest free show is uh, still mm-hmm. church. Um, but pub is growing. Yeah, pub is also growing. Uh, we've also been at the Globe. We've been at Max Canada. So we've been around... Even though the journey has been long, and the road towards tolerance and acceptance can still be paved with difficulties, the courtesans can always count on one thing, their community. Community is definitely a big part of our shows because Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be as successful without the people in the community coming to support us. For every person who does not love us, five people step forward to be by our side and to protect us, and it's incredible. There are people ready to fight for us, like mm-hmm. straight people who don't have that like gay cousin that they like and see at the holidays, who don't really know about us, who yeah. are just like, these are human beings, you're gonna respect them. That's iconic.
After spending the evening talking with the courtesans, I was certain of one thing. Drag isn't all about the clothes and the makeup. It's not even about the songs and the dances. Instead, the courtesans have created a drag community centered around one thing, love. The stories of each of the courtesan members have been weaved into a colorful, vibrant quilt that they wrap around others, covering them with inclusion and acceptance. It's definitely inspiring just to hear those words from people that you've touched. I've had a few people come up to me after shows and tell me they were having the most horrible day ever, and then they, like, walked into our show by mistake, and then they came to every single show after that that we had. And so it was, like, her and her mom's thing. Uh, Shout out to Rachel. Um, Her and her mom's thing, they would come to, like, every single show and just have a good time. It was like their night together to just kind of escape everything. I've had, you know, some, some people who are trans come up to me and say, you guys helped me, you know, realize that it was okay that I could come out because I had somewhere to go with people who would accept me. That's one of the best things about um, the courtesans is our sense of family. You're going to find a home within the courtesans, within what we do. Like, at the end of the day, whoever you are, whatever you do, we do love you. And we mean that. All of us do. It's just, we're a family and we want you to be a part of it. Because a lot of us don't even have families. Come be our family. Be sure to follow the courtesans on Instagram and Facebook. Or check out their website at thecourtesans.com. Remember, that's with a K. To keep up with where you can catch the courtesans in Athens next. For our next segment, Jake takes a look at theater both on UGA's campus and off. On a rainy Saturday morning in early March, I found myself sneaking into the back of a rehearsal room on UGA's campus. I'd gotten permission to sit in on a Next Act rehearsal. Next Act is one of UGA's student-run theater troupes. What sets them apart is their focus on musical theater. On this morning, they were rehearsing their show coming up at the end of March, The Addams Family. Later that day, I got a chance to speak to some of the students involved in the production. The first person I sat down with was Jordan. She plays Morticia in the show. We rehearsed for four or five hours straight um, on Saturdays and then on weeknights. You know, we go from six to ten, which is basically what it was like for a university theater production. Um, That's such an intense schedule. A very intense schedule, and especially with Larry. You know, he likes to keep it very, he has high expectations. with him being an equity actor, um, you know, he expects us, you know, when we learn it, the next time you come back, like, you better know it. He doesn't have to reteach. Next, I asked Jordan's friend, Isabel, who plays Alice, what she loved about being a part of the show. Of course, I love performing, like, being on stage in front of an audience and everything, but I really like, in the rehearsal process, like, uh, bonding with everybody and, like, being able to watch the show come together, like, as we rehearse more and more. On my way out, I spoke to Gemini, the stage manager for the production. I asked her what her job was as stage manager. My plan generally is when I come in, I make sure that everyone is there first, and then 
I'm just trying to make sure that like the rehearsal just keeps moving, um, that we make sure we have a break every hour um, or hour and a half, and that like if people are talking, if people just like that we stay focused. Like my my goal is that everyone knows what's happening um, and that everyone is focused on our goal to create the Adams family. I asked why she liked being a stage manager. I love being around people who are creating and doing what they love. Um, and that's probably one of the best parts. After rehearsal, I wanted to talk to someone who knew more about theater and its presence here in Athens. I met with Dr. Liara Rhodes, a professor of journalism at UGA, who's been very active in local Athens theater over the years. Dr. Rhodes has done everything from costuming to directing for groups like Town & Gown, the oldest community theater group in the state. She also serves on the board of the Morton Theater, the historical African-American theater located in downtown. When we sat down, we got to talking about what makes theater so special. Theater, I think, is so rich for many, many reasons. One, it gives you confidence. If you can memorize lines and stand up on stage, or it gives you um, camaraderie. Uh, it takes teamwork. You can't do a play by yourself. Well, you can, you can have, but no, you can't because there are technical people, you know, there mm -hmm. could be one person on stage, but there are 20 people around them doing costumes, doing lights, doing sound, doing whatever it takes to get the show on. So you can't do it in a vacuum. Dr. Rhodes is a strong believer in the power of theater and the power of the people who come together to put on a show. I think there's a, a, a place for anyone in theater no matter what you do, that if you're interested in sound and lights, you're interested in costume, if you're interested in just moving bodies backstage and making sure they get on on, on timely cues, or putting props in, or greeting people at the door, working the front of the house, um, all of the roles in the theaters you can find a place at. Next act's production of The Adams Family will be on March 30th and 31st at 7 p.m. in the Sini Stovall Chapel. Town & Gown's current production of Suddenly Last Summer runs from now until March 22nd at 8 p.m. in the Athens Community Theater on Grady Avenue. Here at Radio Athenia, we love telling the stories that make Athens special. But we're not the only ones. This episode, we're excited to feature a story recorded live at Rabbit Box. Rabbit Box is a monthly storytelling series where people from all over Athens are given the opportunity to showcase their own unique story to a live audience. Aimed at bringing the community together, Rabbit Box gives everyone a chance to share their voice. The story you're about to hear comes from Terry Cayley and was recorded live at the Foundry during Rabbit Box's Holidays event last December. Hi. My story starts in Marietta, Georgia. When I was 18 years old, I started dating Steve, who was 24 and a half years older than me. Now, my dad was okay with that, but Mama thought I had rocks in my head. But Steve was interesting and funny and the world's best kisser. So we dated for about two and a half years, and my mother became concerned that I was gonna marry him. Now, he wasn't an ax murderer. She didn't really have anything against him. She just thought 
he was too old for me. So she concocted a plan to separate us. She had some lung problems and the doctor in Marietta said, you should move west to a drier climate. So she said to me, I gotta move west for my health and I'm moving back to Houston and you need to go with me. Houston, a dry climate? <laughs> well, she convinced me and talked me into it. So, so in October, a couple of months after I turned 20, we moved back to Houston. In December, I came back to Marietta to visit Steve. When Christmas was over, I went home and I met mother in the living room that first evening and she hugged me and welcomed me home and wanted to know was my trip good. And then she was afraid to ask, but she had to know. And finally she said, did he ask you anything? I said, uh-huh. And she said, well, what did you say? I said, yes. Her reaction? Do you remember seeing the old newsreel of the Hindenburg disaster? <laughs> Hindenburg is floating to the ground in flames, and the reporter is crying into the microphone. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, oh, the humanity. Well, that was, that's kind of mom. You know, she just went right up in flames. Her best laid plans had failed. Well, after a couple of days, she simmered down and she fell in with me because she knew she wasn't going to change my mind. And she took me shopping. First, she bought me a pretty little blue suit that I could get married in, and I could wear it again after the wedding. <laughs> then we went to a jewelry store and bought me a wedding ring. Oh, Lordy, that was a terrible mistake. But that's another story. So in February 1972, I came back to Georgia, and Steve and I were married. And we rocked along through our first year of marriage, and finally December came, and Christmas was approaching. And I was excited. Back home in Texas, when I grew up, we would go out and buy a great big Christmas tree and bring it home, and the whole family joined in in decorating it. And we had lots of presents under the tree, and we had big family get-togethers with great big family meals. It was wonderful. Now, Steve, on the other hand, grew up during the Depression in the little town of Bremen, Georgia. That's close to the Alabama line. And you know, back in the Depression, most people didn't have a whole lot. A lot of times, they didn't even have quite enough to eat. And in his family, a typical day's meal went something like this. For breakfast every day, they had biscuits and gravy. For lunch, they had black-eyed peas. And then for dinner, they would have a little something the mama would scrape together with two pieces of bread per person every day. So 
Flashback to Christmas 1972, I wanted to go buy a Christmas tree. And Steve thought paying $8 for a Christmas tree was exorbitant. And he said no. And I was crushed. I was shocked. And I pouted and I whined. And finally, he mentioned this to his sister. And she said, well, you know, I got a friend that's got some property not far from here. It's all woods. You can just go out there and cut a tree down for free. Well, that sounded good to him. So on Saturday, we loaded up in the car and drove out to this wooded property, got out, axe in hand, and went marching, hiking into the woods. And we, we hiked a while, and all I'm seeing is old brown leaf hardwood trees and old scrappy pines. So we keep hiking. And finally, we come to a place where the ground dropped down about this far. And it was all sandy looking down there. Well, Steve took the lead, and he stepped down. And when he did, he sunk into the sand all the way up to his hip. And he tried to get out, and it held fast. He, nothing's budging. I thought that was hysterical, and I laughed at him. <laughs> that just made him mad. And he struggled some more, and finally I realized, well, he's not getting out of this. i got to help him. So I stepped down, and I, I sunk into my knee, and I pulled, and nothing happened. Man, it wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> I realized we were in quicksand. Literally. Well, now he thinks it's real funny. And, and he said, well, what do you think now, fathead? Is it still funny? That made me so darn mad, I just wanted to take that ax and swing it at his head. <laughs> but that wasn't getting us anywhere. So finally, I strained and I struggled and I worked at it and I got my leg popped out of that sand. And I was close enough to the solid ground that I was able to pull my way back up on it. And then I extended the axe handle to Steve, and I started pulling. Now, he weighed at least 50 pounds more than me, but I pulled, and I tugged, and I cussed. And finally, I pulled his behind out of that sand and pulled him on up on the ground. Well, now we're both wet, we're coated, and gritty sand, and neither one of us are having a good time. So we hiked back to the car, drove home, stripped off our clothes, and put them in the washing machine. Then we got some nice, warm, dry clothes on. And then we went out and bought a Christmas tree. That was the beginning of our Christmas tradition. For the next 44 years, we didn't get in quicksand, but we would uh, go out and buy a Christmas tree and bring it home and play Christmas carols and sip a little wine and decorate our tree. Over the years, we collected ornaments, tree ornaments, wherever we went. We traveled a lot, mostly in this country. so. Every year, we would drag out the ornaments and have fun reminiscing about where we were when we got this ornament. And then we'd get through, and the lights would be twinkling, and we'd sit together on the love seat and just enjoy it. Well, last year, 
at the age of 89, my best friend Steve passed away. December came and I was faced with the first Christmas without him. And I just didn't have the heart or the energy to put up a tree. It was my first year in my whole life without a Christmas tree. Well, this past year, with the support of some good friends, and I've made a whole lot of new friends, mostly through the Ollie organization, and things have been better for me, and it's not the same yet, but things are getting brighter. And this past Saturday, one of my good new friends went with me and helped me buy a Christmas tree. And then he helped me get it home and put it up. And then I got out all those old ornaments by myself and decorated the tree and remembered where we were with each one of, when we got each one of those. And I talked to Steve and I know he was there with me and you know what? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Thank you. Join Rabbit Box for their next event on Wednesday, April 11th at the Foundry for true stories on the theme, Rome, Sweet Rome. Be prepared to travel the globe, hike on trails, and explore new places with Athens storytellers. More info can be found on Facebook or at rabbitbox.org. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Athenia. We want to thank the cast of the Adams Family, Dr. Liara Rhodes, the Courtesans, and Rabbit Box for sharing their stories. Thanks to Nick Malice for our theme music. Our team includes Jenny Alpa, Lauren Baggett, Nina Guzman, Robin McIntyre, Paul Oshinsky, Sydney Shadricks, Jake Troyer, and Alex Vandenhoevel. We're proud to announce that Athenia is now on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. This has been Athenia. Thanks for listening.